in our Christian lives, if you're a Christian, keeping on keeping on, keeping on going is sometimes difficult. And for those of you checking out this Christianity stuff, it can often be a bit of an off-putting thing, because you can often end up thinking, well, blinking that count, you know, I don't know that I can be, you know, goody two-shoes and live like, uh, you know, these people are meant to live and everything. Can I do that? How do you, therefore, stay on course as a Christian and finish well? My guess is, in a congregation of this size, and with many of you having come from other churches, you, most of us here will know people who were on fire for God at one stage, and yet the truth is, they're maybe not even walking with God anymore. Indeed, you might be sat here tonight, and if you were honest with yourself, let alone with anybody else, there may be a time back when you were younger, when you can remember just how on fire for God you were. And yet the truth is, you're sat here tonight, and it's not like it once was. See, the thing is, we're all susceptible to not staying on course and to not finishing well. And tonight I want to look at, uh, with you, someone who started out really good, but unfortunately didn't finish well. He was certainly somebody on fire for God, and God greatly blessed him, but he didn't stay on course. And the consequences of that didn't actually just affect him, not even just his family, actually infected, affected an entire nation. Now, you might have sussed out who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Solomon. And you can read about Solomon in the book of Kings. I don't know how well you know your Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love the book of Kings, uh, one and two Kings. They're absolutely amazing. Originally written, you probably know this, as one volume. Uh, they became separated when the Old Testament was translated into Greek. And uh, it's called Kings because it traces the history of something like 40 kings uh, from uh, Israel and Judah over a period of something like 400 years. So it's an amazing historical record. It's not always written chronologically. Sometimes it's put together along theological points. And so it's useful, actually, to read alongside 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, because then you'll get some extra bits of information uh, that you can feed in and uh, some additional insights as well. It's, it's very, very good reading. So enter Solomon. He got off to a good start, but uh, didn't finish too well. Solomon, of course, had quite a lot uh, going for him. Uh, the legacy of his father David was an amazing legacy to inherit. If you think about it, David was a man after God's heart. He wasn't perfect, we know that. He had affairs and had people murdered and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, he, he really did want to try and follow God. And that was recognized by God. And God declared that he was a man after his own heart. On his deathbed, David called for his son Solomon to come and he shared some final words of encouragement and instruction with him. Now, these are in 1 Kings chapter 2. And he says to Solomon, David's time to, uh, to die drew near. And he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, Look, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, 
and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness, with all their heart, with all their soul, they shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So that's what David had promised Solomon. It's a message that uh, God would continue to speak into Solomon's life throughout his time as a king. But unfortunately, as we're going to see, it's not a message that Solomon would heed. At the beginning of uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, there's some hints that unlike his father, who was devoted to God, had a heart after God, Solomon's heart probably isn't quite as devoted as his dad's. So when 1 Kings chapter 3 starts, um, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he'd finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because uh, no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So, do you see it? Do you see the chinks in the armor, the signs that maybe Solomon isn't quite as devoted as his father was? He's struggling. See, God had consistently given the Israelites very specific instructions about how to live for him whilst being surrounded by pagan nations. And one of the things he told them very specifically was, look, for the neck, don't intermarry. Because as soon as a woman comes along, all your ways will change, guys. We can all identify with that if we're married, can't we? You know, everything changes. And that's the reality. Don't marry women from the surrounding nations. In order to make peace with the Egyptians, though, what does Solomon do? Well, he thinks to himself, I'll play Gideck, it'll be fine. It's for the good of the country and all of that. So he goes over and takes an Egyptian wife. And then you might have noticed in that little uh, passage I just read, that the people and the king were sacrificing at the high places. Now, you'll remember, if you've been following some of the stuff we've been doing in the Old Testament, the high places were centers for idol worship. Israel had actually been specifically told to tear down these places, but there's no house yet built for the name of the Lord, and so the people are worshiping there. And Solomon, well, he loved the Lord, walked in the statutes of David his father, but he too sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So, he's not getting it right. He has a divided heart, a heart that certainly wasn't fully devoted to his God. Now, you probably know that uh, one day God appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked him what he'd like God to give him. Can you imagine that? God turns up and says, right, what would you like? Anything at all. All your Christmases and birthdays in one. And bless him, Solomon didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for wealth. Do you remember what he asked for? Wisdom. He asked God for wisdom. And God was very pleased with that. And he gave Solomon not only the wisdom that he asked for, but he actually gave him riches and honor as well. And during the early part of his reign... Solomon certainly exercised that wisdom with tremendous aplomb. And God blesses him with great wealth and riches. Israel enjoys a, a lengthy period of peace and stability. And Solomon, 
Very interesting if you start to read carefully what happens. Solomon embarks on a building project. 20 years this building project is going to last. Seven years to build the temple. And 13 years to build his Barrett home. What does that tell you? Again, we're probably seeing, you know, he allows twice as much time to build his own palace than he does to build the temple of the Lord. Evidence, again, I think, of a divided heart. Well, with the temple completed, Solomon prays one of the most amazing prayers in the entire Bible, I think. It's there in 1 Kings chapter 8. We haven't got time to look at it tonight. But after he finishes it, <laughs> what does he do? He urges everybody, oh, you've got to be true to God. You've got to be faithful in your hearts. You've got to keep God's commandments. And yet he, well, he wasn't exactly fully devoted. Solomon becomes so famous in the surrounding nations, the Queen of Sheba comes to visit, and she showers him with all sorts of riches and everything. By the end of 1 Kings chapter 10, there's an amazing summary of all the riches that Solomon had amassed during his reign. Everything from the outside looks really, really good. But the consequences of all those times that Solomon had kind of just let things slide are about to come home to roost. So let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, and Sheila's going to come and read for us the first eight verses. Thank you, Sheila. First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wife's wives led him astray. As Solomon grew, grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Thank you, Sheila. Don't go too far away now. Right, Anne, are we doing all right? Can we carry on? We're okay. All right, everybody? Yeah? You okay with this? So this, I think this is absolutely amazing. This guy, you know, he began with a marriage to Pharaoh's daughter. He's now got a harem of 700 wives and 300 concubines. This guy, I don't know what drugs he's on, but he's doing well. Now, he did not just accumulate these women. Uh, 
by sexual lust. Let's just be straight about this. He was an old man by this time. The text told us that. So what was going on here? Initially, he started off by thinking, ah, well, one won't hurt. And now we get here, and he's got 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, we know from historical records, it wasn't uncommon for kings in the ancient East to accumulate harems. They were, they were like trophy wives that they parade around as evidence of their influence and their power. I was thinking about doing this in Risker for myself, so anybody who wants to volunteer later, there we go. But it was, it was a big sign. And if you wanted to make a political alliance... Well, that's the best way to do it. You marry into it. We see this in our own history as a nation, don't we? But it seems like Solomon had taken all of this to a bit of an extreme. He'd gone a bit far with it. What well, began with one, ah, well, marriage only one, it's for the good of the nation, had by now gotten way out of hand. Life's like that, isn't it? You know, when I look at my own life, I don't know whether it's the same for you, but... I often compromise, saying initially, ah, oh, just this once. And what happens is it snowballs. Most of you are probably familiar with the, uh, the illustration of the frog in the pot. You familiar with that? It's a known scientific thing that uh, a frog in a pot of hot water, if you put a frog into a pot of hot water, he'll immediately jump out. But if you put the same frog in a pot of room temperature water, and gradually heat the water. Unfortunately, the frog just gets used to it little by little and is cooked to death. I really think that was the problem with Solomon, and I see that problem in myself. Solomon figured, I think, with all his wisdom, yeah, he was too smart to allow things to get out of control. He probably figured that he could determine when the water was beginning to get, get too hot and just jump out of the pot. Problem is, one little compromise leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and pretty soon Solomon was in so much hot water, well, he was getting cooked. And before we're too quick just to say, oh, yeah, well, I see it now, yeah, that's a real problem for Solomon, we need to take a look at our own lives. Because how many times, honestly, do we tell ourselves, nah, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. I know they're promoting a lot of things that contradict the Bible, but gosh, it's only a television program. I know it promotes violence and desensitizes me to it, but it's only a game. Well, it's not harming me, it's not harming my marriage, it's only a picture on a computer screen. Oh, yeah, I know the lyrics degrade women and, and are vulgar, but it's only a pop song. I'm not really stealing from my employer, but I think it's only a few office supplies. I haven't got time to go and get them on my way home. And it's those, it's only, that mount up. They don't seem a big deal at the time, but the problem is that they almost always get out of control, just like Solomon's harem. Little by little, Solomon's heart was being turned away from God. And as we'd expect, God wasn't very happy with him. So she was going to read just our second passage for tonight. And that's carrying on the story in 1 Kings 11. Verses 9 to 13. 
the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out to the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Thanks, Sheila. So God's going to do exactly what he told Solomon he would do if Solomon chose to continue to disobey him. He would take the kingdom away from him and give it to another. And we know in history that's exactly what happened. It involved the nation of Israel being split in two, two different kings ruling the two separate nations. So Solomon's sin, as we said earlier, didn't just impact him personally, it impacted his family, and it had a continuing effect on the entire nation. So here's the question. It started off very simply. I'd be fine. And it tumbled. And it got worse and worse and worse. And I think we're agreeing. We see an element of that in our lives. So here's the question. How do you stay on course as a Christian? How, how do you keep on going? just want to share with you some little, very quick things. The first thing I want to share with you is the longest thing. So don't please think that I'm going to take this long over everything. I also want a cup of tea. And call the midwife, son, and my wife likes that. So there we go. How do you stay on course? The first thing I'd say this. We've got to stay in God's Word. Now, we live in a generation when reading doesn't seem as popular anymore. But I, I, you know, I'm not just talking about reading. I, if, you, if you've got the Bible available on audio, go for it. If you've got it as a, a download, you can go on YouTube and blink and watch Hercule Poirot reading it, whatever the actor's called. I've forgotten his name. But you know, it, I don't, it doesn't matter. I do think, though, we need to get into God's Word. So important. We know that Solomon knew God's Word. Undoubtedly, he'll have heard it from his dad. And he's reminded by David and by God on multiple occasions about the importance of obeying it. So here's the thing. Solomon clearly didn't spend time in the Word. How do I know that? Well, God had specifically warned the people in Deuteronomy chapter 17. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and say, oh, let's set a king over us to be like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Don't place a foreigner over you, one who's not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not, look at this, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more for them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives. Durr! Or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Hello, Solomon. Hello. Solomon totally disobeyed God in at least three areas. 
So one of the most striking differences between Solomon and his father David is in their desire to check things out with God, to check with God before doing something. There are at least nine instances I could think of where David, we're told, inquired of the Lord. Do you remember that phrase? I can't find one with Solomon. Now, I ask you honestly, in your own life, and some of the decisions you've got to take, and some of the things that you're facing, do you inquire of the Lord? Because this seems to suggest if you don't bother to inquire of the Lord, you are in danger of going on a slippery slope and tumbling into one compromise, into another, into another, into another, into another. When David faced a trial, an enemy, his consistent practice was to inquire of God. I can't find one. Well, Solomon does that. If you find it, please let me know. It's also interesting that this encounter in 1 Kings 11 is only the third time God has even spoken to Solomon, which I find interesting given what we've been doing over the last few weeks on Sunday evenings. Because you may remember that back in 1 Samuel 3, we're told that the word of the Lord was rare. Do you remember that? Why? Why? Why was that? We said that looking at the text and understanding the historical context, that was because people weren't interested in listening to what God had to say. They're quite happy doing their own thing, thank you very much. Well, I have to believe then that the reason God spoke to Solomon so infrequently was, as we've seen, he really wasn't that interested in listening to God or obeying his commands. So there's a challenge to us, isn't it? Sometimes in our lives, and as a pastor, I get people saying this to me, God isn't speaking to me. Well, are you inquiring of him? Are you asking him? Perhaps aware of this, David had written Psalm 119 to teach his young son two things. Number one, the alphabet. Every word is there. And uh, every letter is there. And, and God's word. Because you'll know that Psalm 119 is very uniquely written in that the word of the Lord appears in every verse. Near the beginning of the psalm, we read these relevant words. Uh, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Oh, Solomon, blinking heck. Why didn't you do that? Reading the Bible on a consistent basis is really important. Listening to the Word of God is really important. Memorizing it. Remember when we used to do that? When's the last time you memorized a piece of Scripture? The memory verses I learned still come back and help me in situations. Bang, it's there. It influences our hearts. Five more minutes, Annie. You all right with that? Okay. Who's on teas and coffees tonight? Oh, Jane. Boiling away? Here we go then. Let's be quick. Stay in God's word. What's the second one? Here we go. Stay on your knees. Simple, isn't it? When Solomon prayed an amazing public prayer at the dedication of the temple, sadly, there's no evidence that he spent any time at all in personal prayer. So this is a problem we have with many ministers, see? Many ministers can stand up here and lead wonderful prayers. How is their personal prayer life? I can say that, but it is an important thing. David was constantly praying to God, asking for God's direction. Show me, show me where 
Solomon does that. Big problem with it. It's not there. I've noticed in my life, I don't know whether you can identify with this, it's a lot easier to say, nah, it'd be fine, it'd be all right, on the days when I didn't spend time with God than when I started the day with God. If I start the day with God on my knees in prayer, I tend to be much more aware of the times when I'm tempted to start down a slippery road. Can you identify with that? Third thing, stay away from known temptations. I do not work in a Mars bar factory because I find Mars bars rather tempting. Amen. I do not work in a Twix factory because I find Twix rather tempting. Now, we know it and we joke about it with regards to food, but listen, why do we sometimes put ourselves in places when we know it's all going to go Pete Tom? Wrong, that means. You know, as I said earlier, we can't be totally sure of what motivated Solomon to take on all those wives and concubines. You know, physical lust, blinking neck, what a guy. But I think it was pride. I think pride was a lot to do it. I mean, when did this guy wake up and realise he had a bit of a weakness for women? Because he should have. But he doesn't. Same goes for his worship life. At some point, he had to realize his wives were enticing him to serve other gods and engage in idolatry on the high places. But he never did anything to stay away from those temptations, did he? How many times do we put ourselves in a position where we know we're going to be tempted and we say, ah, I'll be fine. So if we're going to be tempted to say it's only a picture on a computer screen, don't get the computer out when you're by yourself. If you're going to be tempted to say, that's only a TV show, don't turn on the TV then. Don't watch that program. I think you get the idea. Really quickly. Tea's nearly ready. Here's the fourth one. Stay close to godly friends. How many of us have godly friends? So some of us don't have any. I don't know about you, but I can't do this thing by myself. I need people around me. And unlike his father David, who consistently sought counsel from Nathan the prophet, for instance, we saw no evidence that Solomon surrounded himself with any godly people. Who was giving him wise counsel? Who confronted him? Who challenged him when he disobeyed God? We all need people around us to do that, don't we? I can't do it by myself. And I muck up. I need somebody to speak into my life and say, do you think you should be doing that? Here's the final one. Stay focused on the finish line. As you, many of you will know, I'm in training for the 110-meter hurdles at the moment. <laughs> they tell me that uh, the big thing about sprinters is they know exactly where the finish line is. Because they dip at the last second, don't they? And if you've ever seen some of those hilarious YouTube videos where people have dipped too early, or where there was that athlete the other week who thought she'd won something, and there was uh, somebody else, was it a tennis player, she thought she'd won something. People who don't get to the finish line, it's a real problem. And I think for us who are seeking to follow Jesus, we just need to remind ourselves where the finishing line is. The finishing line ain't here. 
The Apostle Paul frequently compared the Christian life to a race. And if you read what he writes, you'll see that he says the finish line for us is when we get to be with Jesus, not before. Some of us think we can peak here. We will not get it right if we think that. The finish line is in glory. We need to stay focused on the finish line, not the here and now. The writer of, Hebrew, of Hebrews does it brilliantly. Since we're surrounded by such a good cloud of witnesses cheering us on, let's lay aside every weight and sin which easily uh, clings so closely. Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Stay focused on the finishing line. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Friends, I think Solomon intentionally started out life with every good intention. The problem is he stumbled and fell. And I doubt anybody here would intentionally want to start out on the Christian life with the idea that they're going to stumble and miss the finish line. But every time we compromise and say, ah, be fine, be careful, one step closer to our hearts being drawn away from God, getting onto that slippery slope that will just take us away. We need to remember that tonight we've broken bread and drunk wine because so often we do muck up. And yet here's the one who got the victory for us. And here's the one who'll get us over the finishing line. And here's the one in whom we can trust. So we need to seek his counsel. We need to get good godly people around us to keep us safe. We need to be praying. And we need to be seeking after God day by day. May we be so encouraged in this week ahead.